But if out of the, in the country a man happens to meet a girl pledged to be married and rapes her, only the man who has done this shall die. Do nothing to the girl. She has committed no sin deserving of death. This case is like that of someone who attacks and murders his neighbor. For the man found the girl out in the country, and though the betrothed girl screamed, there was no one to rescue her. If a man happens to meet a virgin who is not pledged to be married and rapes her, and they are discovered, he shall pay the the girl's father 50 shekels of silver. He must marry the girl, for he has violated her. He can never divorce her as long as he lives. A man is not to marry his father's wife. He must not dishonor his father's bed. The second reading is from Matthew chapter 5. Verse 27 to 30. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. This is God's word. Good morning. For those of you who have not met me, my name is Matt Banks. I'm one of the other assistant ministers here. So, the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. I don't know what you make of that. I know there's, there's one episode in The Simpsons where Bart is in church and as he kind of fades in and out of consciousness, all he can kind of hear is, You shall not have fun. You shall not enjoy yourself. You shall not express yourself. Boring kind of commands that seem repressive in our society today. And perhaps as much as any of the Ten Commandments, this commandment, you shall not commit adultery, sounds like that. It sounds that it is as if it is part of a a suite of commandments designed to repress us. But remember, as we've seen all the way through this series in Deuteronomy, the Ten Commandments, indeed all of the commandments that God gives his people, are given by God in the context of a pre-existent relationship. They're given by God to a people who he's already loved, who he's already rescued out of the land of Israel. And they're given by a God who is committed to the good of his people. So when God says, do not commit adultery... If there was a doubt in our mind, if if we thought he's out to spoil our fund, fun, no, says Moses in Deuteronomy. I don't know if you remember, we looked at this a few weeks ago. At the end of the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses is speaking about the entirety of the law, he says this, he says, choose life, choose life. These are commandments that God gives us for good. For the good life. Moses doesn't say choose sexual repression. Choose life. Nor does Moses say choose pain and guilt. And of course anyone, and of course there may well be, there probably are 
some here this morning for whom adultery is a, is a real, um, painful, perhaps guilt-inducing part of life. Moses doesn't say choose pain and guilt. God's intention this morning isn't to load pain or guilt upon us and then toss us over the side to drown under its weight. For sure, adultery is serious, we'll see that. But by the end of today, we will see that this commandment is spoken by a God who knows what it is to suffer adultery against himself. A God who knows what it is to suffer it and to forgive it. So choose life, says Moses, when we think about adultery. As we look at this seventh commandment, do not commit adultery, you shall not commit adultery, we might ask the question, well, what is adultery? Although you may say, well, come on, Matt, that's quite obvious, isn't it? Maybe we think it is, but I think, bear, bear with me, it is, it is worth being, being really clear in our minds what adultery is. I've, if you want, if it helps you remember it, there's a sentence on your sheet, on the back of the notice sheet. You might want to fill in the blanks if it helps you remember it. As I've been studying this, I think we can say adultery is any sexual activity that violates the sanctity of your or someone else's marriage. Adultery is any sexual activity that violates the sanctity of your or someone else's marriage. So it's worth reflecting that, strictly speaking, adultery isn't sort of shorthand for any type of sexual immorality in general. And I've got to be blunt, the Bible, God, is crystal clear that, that any sexual activity outside of the marriage between one man and one woman isn't God's good plan for, for life. So it would be wrong for an unmarried man and an unmarried woman to sleep together. But strictly speaking, that wouldn't be adultery because neither is married. The Bible would call that, say, sexual immorality or sensuality or that word that's used in the old translations, fornication. And the Bible would say to anyone who is caught in, in sort of sexual immorality generally, flee from it. But I think it is worth this morning focusing our attention specifically on what the Bible would call, does call, adultery. Remember, adultery is any sexual activity that violates the sanctity of your or someone else's marriage. So if I was to have sexual relations with someone other than Megan, my wife... I would be committing adultery with that other woman against Megan. And if that other woman was married, she would be committing adultery with me against her spouse. And I and she would be violating the sanctity of her marriage and my marriage to Megan. And adultery is serious. You'll you'll have noticed that from some of the shocking verses in the passage from Deuteronomy that was read out. If you've got it open, uh, it's page 200 again. Page 
page 200. Look at verse 22. Verse 22, page 200. This is really the sort of the, the heart of Deuteronomy's expansion of the command, you shall not commit adultery. The other things we had read really are a case law unpacking this, which is the heart of it. Verse 22. If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, you must, and who slept with her, and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. That's tough, isn't it? Now, we're not under the, the laws of Deuteronomy in exactly the same way that the Israelites were back then. But the very fact that God mandates the death penalty for adultery should at the very least make us sit up and take it seriously. And in case we'd like to think that the New Testament is any less serious, you'll have heard what Jesus himself says in the context of adultery. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus is saying, speaking yeah, metaphorically, but saying that if it were possible to lop off bits of your body, if that would mean you'd avoid adultery, then that would be the wise course of action. That's shocking. And of course, Jesus, uh, might say, ramps up. You'd certainly say shows the full measure of the command for Deuteronomy, because before, just before that reading, he says this, you have heard it said... You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you're a married man and you see another attractive woman and your thoughts go beyond she's good looking to I'd like to whatever... And Jesus says the the trajectory of your heart is to commit adultery with that woman. The trajectory of your heart is to violate the sanctity of your own marriage with that person. If you're a married woman and you see an attractive man and your thoughts go beyond the, oh, he's attractive to, oh, I wish my husband was a bit more like, whatever, Jesus says the trajectory of your heart is to commit adultery with that person. The trajectory of your heart is to violate the sanctity of your own marriage with that person. Adultery is any sexual activity, including in the mind, that violates the sanctity of your marriage or someone else's marriage. But why is adultery? You might say, well, okay, well, why, why is it so serious though? Well, I think the answer, it works a bit like what we heard last week. The commandment last week was, you shall not murder. And the reason why that's so serious is because life is so precious. And similarly today, you shall not commit adultery. And that's so serious because marriage is so precious. Hence the next two points on our sheet. Adultery is serious because marriage is wonderfully exclusive. 
you know, to go right back to basics, what is marriage? Well, marriage, according to the Bible, is, is a covenant. Solemn promises between one man and one woman. Malachi puts it like this. The Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth. She is your companion, here it is, and your wife by covenant. When a man and woman make their marriage vows to each other, they're they're making a covenant with each other, a solemn, binding, lifelong promise to each other. For better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, till death do us part. And as we saw wonderfully illustrated in the kids' slot earlier on, as they make those promises to each other, somehow God is binding that man and that woman together. Spiritual masking tape, as it were. And so as we saw before, Jesus says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And the Bible says it's within this covenant union, and only within this covenant union, that sex is to be pursued and enjoyed. See, the Bible assumes that the the sexual act unites a man and woman together. And that that physical union both expresses the kind of unseen spiritual union and cements it together. So ultimately, contrary to what um, society around us would say, the Bible would say, no, 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 it's not that human beings need sex. Marriages need sex to express the spiritual union and and to cement it. The joy and intimacy and vulnerability of sexual union between one man and one woman, says God, is always to be specific and exclusive and precious to that covenant union between that husband and that wife. And so the writer to the Hebrew says... Marriage should be honoured by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. And when we, when we see what God's intention for, for marriage is, that intimate, wonderful union, adultery then, as one writer who I, I read on this put it, adultery then is treason against the covenant of marriage. Even a lustful look that another person who is not your spouse is a corrosive violation of that most exclusive and precious of bonds. So adultery is serious because marriage is wonderfully exclusive. And adultery is serious because marriage is also wonderfully public. That's the next point on our sheets. You know, uh, as far as I'm aware, uh, some expert sociologist can correct me if I'm wrong, but as far as I'm aware, whatever culture you're in, the marriage ceremony is always a public affair. So it's not, an, it's not enough for two people who are in love to run off up some mountain or on some beach somewhere and just 
totally privately between the two of them say, will you marry me? Yep, I do. Will you marry me? Yep, I do. And then bam, they're married. They're married. It's not enough. Now, some of you guys, believe me, who've just got engaged, in a few months' time, you'll wish that is all it took because that would save you all the hassle of wedding admin and colours on ribbons on cupcakes and all that kind of stuff. But certainly in this country, whether a marriage ceremony is small or large, at the very least there will have been bans of marriage read in, a, in churches beforehand or there will be a notice up in the registry office for a few weeks beforehand. There will at least be a handful of close family or friends to, to sign the marriage register and, and be witnesses. There will at least be an officer of the state, whether the minister or a registrar, all of which is indicative that, that marriage, yes, it's exclusive between those two people, but also it is a public thing. Now that's why when, when in Genesis it says, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. He's saying that when a man and a woman leave the family units that they belong to and say I do, a new family unit in society comes into existence. You've seen it. Obviously, and I know, of course, there are, there are of course, wonderful exceptions. But I think it's fair to say that generally, whether religious commentator or, or, or a secular commentator is in view, most people recognize, I think, that the family unit of a husband and a wife provides the building blocks for a more stable family. So, I mean, the guy writing this wasn't a Christian, but the leader, the lead article in the editorial of the Times on the 30th of April, this just gone this year, began by noting this. Increasing evidence shows that marriage is good for the two people it joins together and good for society. And then it went on to claim, the wedding ceremony, its public vows and involvement of other people in the relationship help to explain why marriages tend to endure longer and provide more stability for children. And in terms of what we're looking at this morning, all of which is to say that the other reason why adultery is so serious is because Adultery hurts and damages not just you, the individual, not just your spouse, not just your marriage, not just the marriage of the person you commit adultery with. But often, of course, tragically, when, when children involved, it damages them, parents, friendship, and therefore, of course, wider, wider society. Um, sadly, Megan and I have uh, seen adultery in our wider family, uh, of, you know, in the last oh, five, five years or something, and all of those things were true. So, you know, in in that moment when we countenance adultery, even if it's just in our fantasies, we're essentially putting our cravings beyond and above the good of others. We're just the complete antithesis of what it means to be one of Jesus' disciples. So adultery is so serious because marriage is wonderfully exclusive and adultery is so serious because marriage is wonderfully public. It's one of the things God has given as part of the building blocks of society. And so naturally the, the fourth point on our sheet, 
flee adultery and cherish marriage. I don't know if you noticed in the reading, again from Deuteronomy, that there was a, there was a repeated refrain. It happens three times. It says, you must purge this evil from among you. Verse 21, 22, and 24. You must purge this evil, adultery, from among you. And again, while we are not under the same penal code that the Israelites were, it is a stark reminder that none of us can, on the one hand, think adultery is okay and also call ourselves Christians. You you just can't, says God. So obviously, flee adultery. And to be be blunt, if if you are in the position today of feeling close to committing adultery, I say it as bluntly and strongly as I can. God says don't do it. Don't go for that drink. Delete the number off your phone. Cancel that business trip if you need to. So flee actual adultery, God would say, but also flee adultery, and in fact all sexual immorality, in your mind as well. The website, the glance at the billboard or the jogger in the park, the fantasy about the more understanding spouse. You know, whether we're married or not, those kind of thoughts are the sexual immorality that the Bible says we're all to flee. But perhaps even more offensively, if we are married, then with every such glance or imagining or fantasy, we're trampling underfoot that that precious covenant that exists between us and the spouse that God has given us. The flip side of which, I suppose, if I can say it without any of us blushing, is for those of us who are married, enjoy the sexual side of it, cultivate it, give time and energy to it. Proverbs 5 speaks in barely veiled euphemism about this. Uh, The writer says, Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets and your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. So flee adultery. If you are married, cultivate, work at the sexual relationship you have with your spouse. That's a few thoughts on our own sexual activity. But before we move on to our final point, let me just uh, share a few thoughts. What are we to make of adultery in society around us? What we, what we see in magazines, on the news, etc. Well, I think certainly we're to kind of resist the urge of the kind of daily mail reading, sort of wagging finger, pointing the finger at others. But but for me, when I think about this commandment, do not commit adultery and how serious it is, it's certainly a a small thing. It affects what type of films I'd watch, I think. I I don't think I could be comfortable watching a film where the main plot involves you kind of rooting for someone to commit adultery. I mean, how how could I do that when adultery is so serious, according to God? Also, as I've been preparing this sermon, I've realised how often in the media, euphemisms for adultery are often used to kind of downplay it. He had an affair. She had a fling. It was a bit on the side. He was a bit of a lad. No. 
it's adultery. And I've been thinking as you read that in the newspapers, it's worth, if you're a Christian, trying to kind of re-articulate it to yourself when you read it. It's not an affair, it's adultery. It tramples the precious covenant of marriage. It's not a bit on on the side, it's adultery. And it damages wider society. And I don't want to get desensitized to it when I watch it or read about it. And finally, can I just say, if any of you guys, I don't know, if any of you guys work in the advertising industry, please help us to be godly. Uh, with, with whatever influence, to the extent that you have influence, please don't try and use it to sell products that lead us into temptation. Because it is hard not to commit adultery. So flee adultery and cherish marriage. But as we finish, I want to raise our gaze to God. See, I'd want anyone here this morning who recognises that they need forgiveness in this area not to leave without coming to God for that forgiveness. I'd want no one to think that they don't need forgiveness in this area to leave feeling a bit bit smug or or self-righteous. And I'd want none of us who struggle in this area, which I guess is most of us, the majority of us to some degree or other, I'd want none of us to leave here without a wonderful motivation to keep battling. So finally, the last point on our sheet, God is our supreme example of a faithful spouse. See, here's the shocking truth about all our sin if we're Christians. The Bible says if we're Christians, if we're God's people, then actually all our sin, not just sexual sin, all our sin is adultery against God. Look how the writer, look how James puts it. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? See, throughout the Bible, God is pictured as a loving husband who, as we've seen repeatedly in Deuteronomy, himself enters into a covenant relationship with his people. That's the the verse actually right on the front of your handout this morning, the service sheet, Isaiah 54. For your maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is his name, the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. God himself enters into a covenant relationship with his people in which he promises to love and cherish and provide for them. A covenant relationship in which he pledges himself unreservedly to his people and which, like marriage, demands complete loyalty and faithfulness to him on our part. Yet that's the shocking truth. We as God's people do often chase after a bit on the side. Whenever our eyes do wander to other things other than God as our ultimate source of joy, whenever we trust in other things for our ultimate security, whenever we devote ourselves to other things to the detriment of our relationship with the Lord. God says it's like you're committing adultery with those things against me. So one other writer says this, whenever we sin, 
We can think of that as marital unfaithfulness. And we should think of it that way better to understand our radical need of forgiveness from our heavenly husband. So I would say, even, even if you don't, in terms of actual adultery or sexual fantasies, battle with adultery, don't, don't feel proud because the Bible says all sin, in some ways, is adultery against God. But for those of us who, as I say, will be the majority of us who have, to some degree or other, committed adultery, even if it's in our fantasies, this is the good news of Christianity. See, the same God who says to his people, you shall not commit adultery, is the same God who knows what it is to forgive spiritually adulterous people. He's the God who's willing to forgive all sin, even actual adultery, if anyone would come to him for that forgiveness. And more than that, the same God who says to his people, you shall not commit adultery, is the God who knows what it is to remain faithful to his people, his adulterous people, and pursue his adulterous people, even in the face of their blazing adultery. You know, wonderfully, to the prophet Hosea, the prophet who himself was married to an actually adulterous woman, the Lord gives this message God says to Hosea, go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as I, the Lord, love his people, though they turn to other gods. So you shall not commit adultery. And I don't know about you, but as I look at this God's unwavering faithfulness to me, even though I am a spiritual adulterer, as I look at Christ's unwavering commitment to his bride, the church, that makes me want to be the kind of man who is faithful to his spouse and who flees adultery. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the goodness of marriage. We praise you for its wonderful exclusivity and its wonderful place in the public sphere. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you will help us to be people who flee adultery, who cherish our own marriages if we are, as Sharon previously prayed, who would uphold other people's marriages. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that we would do this knowing that you are a God who is always faithful to his covenant promises to us, adulterous and idolatrous people that we are. And as we remember your faithfulness, we yearn for that day when we will stand before you face to face and enjoy being at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen.